Hey, everybody. Welcome to Box Office Brunch. We're your hosts. I'm David. And I'm Rita. And today we are talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, the bioepic about Queen and Freddie Mercury. The best. <laughs> They're pretty great. All right. And then for brunch, we went a little different today. We got a little creative. So we went and got donuts. So, what was it called? Lamar's? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a local place by my house. A lot of it we record in my house. So a yeah. lot of this stuff is usually local to where I live. Yeah. And then we also did get bagels from Einstein's. Yeah, we got uh, bagel sandwiches. Yeah, but they forgot to leave off your jalapeno. Yeah, that, it would. It was still really good. I would have liked it better if it didn't have the schmear on it. <laughs> yeah, David's allergic to peppers. It's weird. Yeah. And pepper. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a weird allergy. <laughs> well, sorry. Can't help it. Okay, and... Grab your mimosas. Well, our mimosas are the same. Yeah. As last week because it's we kind of hard to get super creative with them. It's orange juice and champagne. And so we're going to either have like a different kind of champagne or a different kind of orange juice. Maybe we'll mix it up and do some other breakfast. I suggested a beer mosa, but David made a face. I don't so. like beer. Sorry. Don't come for him. Yeah. Sorry, people. <laughs> so, so again, we probably lost is... a couple followers there, but <laughs> it is orange juice with mango in it again because yeah. we had a huge jug and we're not about wasting. Yeah. I'm not going to buy one of those every week or every other week. Sorry. Sorry. But you can email us recipes for mimosas if you want. Yeah. Any suggestions, comments, concerns, questions, even <laughs> email us at boxofficebrunchpodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happens. Okay. All right. Do you want to start us off with some facts about the movie? Yes. So it was released in 2018 with a budget estimated around 52 million. Yeah. There were some conflicting things. And I think that's such a weird thing that they can like not know what the budget is on a movie. I feel like that's usually something that's pretty set in stone. But yeah, a lot of the things had somewhere between 50 and 55 million. Yeah. And then the opening weekend, how much it made was around 51 million yeah so it made back its budget so it was kind of in the hole for the first weekend because if you take into account like the marketing and all that kind of stuff and what the theaters take then it was probably in the hole a little bit but it did end up grossing 911 million over its theatrical run which was that's a lot of money <laughs> yeah and i I would be interested, and I should have done this, to see how much Rocket Man, oh, the one about yeah. Elton John made. Yeah, I didn't look into that one. I imagine we'll probably watch it at some point, but... I don't know, because I didn't... <laughs> you didn't like it? I didn't like that one as much as I liked this one. Oh, okay. I Not that I don't like Elton John. I just didn't yeah. like I heard it was, the it, film. Yeah, I heard it took... It was a little bit more fantasy there were scenes where he was like floating off the stage and stuff so i heard yeah i heard it was a little weird well this one was 
this film was specifically made not to interweave the music they interwove the music but it wasn't right it wasn't supposed to be a musical yeah exactly whereas rocket man is more like a musical okay it's really weird like he'll start to hallucinate or something and then the song will come up and it's definitely bizarre and so they're two separate things. Okay. And I think I went into Rocket Man expecting it to be like this and it didn't end up being like that. Okay. So it was more just like your expectations for it were a little bit different. And so that kind of skewed your experience, I guess. Yes. Okay. So that's that's exactly it. So I did see that since this made $911 million, that made it the highest grossing musical biopic as well as the highest grossing biographical film and the highest grossing LGBT film of all time. That's impressive. Yeah. I think it surpassed Straight Outta Compton, which I also haven't seen, but I haven't good seen things. that either. So yeah, it was a huge hit. This was, and then I think it, it won like four Academy Awards too. I think Rami Malek won Best Actor. Best Actor. It won some Best Sound Editing or something like that. I, I meant to write it down, but I forgot. Oh, actually I might have. <laughs> I think I, I think I maybe I did. The listeners are like, "What do you guys do?" Yeah, if you're we not just looking up these films. about how we didn't look <laughs> stuff up. Yeah, I did not write it down. Sorry, that's okay. We can post it on our Insta. Yeah. So it also came out November second. I think you said that 2018. The competition that weekend was the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Nobody's Fool and A Private War, so nothing huge. I don't know those films. No, I, I remember I hearing... I don't ever pay attention. If there's a film I want to see, I don't pay attention to what came out alongside it usually. Yeah. I just, I like looking at it when we're talking about these movies and how well they do because I think that that really impacts it when we're talking about how Star Wars was, was released the weekend before a movie or something like that that's going to play into it. The only one of those that I ever heard about was The Nutcracker in the Four Realms, and I remember hearing it was bad, so <laughs> that's really it. <laughs> I I didn't even hear about it. Yeah. I may go watch the trailers now after this. But yeah, we can delve into it a little bit now. Yeah, let's get into the, the story. The so obviously this is about Queen and Freddie Mercury more specifically. It is... I, I read that the band wanted to make this story about the band, but there was a lot of push to make it about Freddie Mercury. I think that that's just kind of the way that Queen's life was. Freddie was such a, a big character that they even have a scene in the movie that we'll talk about later where they're at a, they're, what is it called? It's like an interview panel. Yeah. They're doing like a press junket for their album and all anybody wants to talk about is Freddie and Freddie's personal life and Freddie's sexuality and all of this stuff. He was just such a big character. <laughs> that part makes me laugh because he says, you know, there are four of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, as the leader of Queen, and he's like, I'm not the leader of Queen. I'm just the lead singer. It, that part that part made me laugh a little bit. Yeah. Rami did a good job. Yeah. I, I don't know. That scene was kind of weird. We're kind of getting ahead, but it was weird because with him, with the way the camera distortions and like all of his movements and stuff, I was like, is he about to have like a seizure or something? And then it just and then the scene just ends and it doesn't really come to anything. So it's kind of weird. I think it's because he was under the influence because of the time. Yeah. All right. Anyways, let's start at the beginning, I guess. Do we do you have a synopsis for it? Just like a little one sentence thing. I tried to find one and they were all pretty long. So I think if you found something, read it. But 
I think we could just say this is about Queen and yeah. Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I mean, that's basically... Specifically, the whole film, I think, is just leading up to that Live Aid concert because that was yeah. one of their most phenomenal and performances. Yeah, it's been voted as the greatest... Oh, I think I wrote it down. Show. It was like the world's... The showman. It was the world's greatest live rock and roll performance or something like that. Which was, is funny was, because yeah. at the time, Queen wasn't even... Queen had... They had dropped off in America for and sure. They yeah. weren't popular and it it's funny because they were the most remembered act from Live yeah. Aid. Yeah. And obviously this movie takes like a lot of liberties and stuff. But the synopsis that I got is basically what we talked about already. The story of the legendary British rock band Queen and lead singer Freddie Mercury leading up to their famous performance at Live Aid nineteen eighty five. Yes, and that's how it starts. So it opens up with the preparations being made for that. Live Aid concert in 1985, and you see the back of Freddie. Yeah, as he's like walking up, mm -hmm. and he's running up the he's stairs. He's like, yeah, he's like getting himself hype. He's like shadow boxing almost, <laughs> like he's walking on the stage. Yes, and you kind of even before then that first scene, you know, where he, you're in his house essentially. Yeah, and you see his cats yeah. and his feet and. You know that that's Freddie, and there's a robe. You can kind of see the the clothes. But what's funny is that scene where he walks up the stairs to go on stage. Apparently, the act before them was U2. So you see a young Bono walking down off stage. Oh, cool. I'm not a U2 fan. Everyone's going to come for me, I know. I'm not a big U2 fan either. Do you remember when Apple decided to just give us a free album? Yeah. Yes, from I them? do. Yep, I was so I pissed. I think I was in like seventh grade or something. <laughs> I remember being so angry and everybody was like, yeah, you downloaded this YouTube album on my phone without my permission. And they were, Apple probably thought they were doing something so nice. Yeah. And everyone's like, ew, gross. Why? <laughs> Why did you give me a free album? Yeah. Get this out of here. <laughs> uh, so then we cut back to 1970 and Freddie is working at Heathrow Airport throwing bag <laughs> luggage. Yeah, yeah. I almost said baggage, but luggage. Well, maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> and he's zoning out, and that guy says, move along, Packy, or something. He's like, yeah. I'm not from Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, okay, I said previously that I was not a big Queen fan, and I think what I realized while watching this movie, and this is kind of a little bit of a side because I do have another point that I want to make, is that I think I'm just not really a Bohemian Rhapsody fan. Like, I don't love that song, but I love a lot of their other music. I understand that it's their magnum opus or whatever, but I don't love that song when they have so many great songs. It's kind of like Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Yeah. I don't think it's their best song, but it's... So, the most popular. Yeah, and it's like such a big thing in pop culture and, and stuff these days. Well, the only reason Bohemian Rhapsody is even popular is because of Wayne's World. Yeah, which came out a year after Freddie Mercury died and became this like cultural phenomenon. Yeah, and... I mean, it was it was huge when it was released. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just moved my mic. You guys are going to hear that. Sorry about that. <laughs> We're apologizing a lot already. But, but yeah, I think it was it was a massive hit internationally when it was released. But then it obviously twenty years go by, the song's not going to be a number one well, hit got, for twenty years. It actually got it, mixed reviews, right? It was contrived and all of that kind of stuff. But in popular opinion, it was huge. 
Like yeah. critics didn't love it. it. They played it a lot on the radios and the kids loved it. I love Queen. Yeah. Actually, our last song at the end of the night at our wedding was We Are the Champions. And we made everybody <laughs> circle up and put their arms around each other. And the video footage from the wedding is so funny. It's all cell phone footage. Unfortunately, our video videographers were gone by then. Yeah. But there is cell phone footage and you can hear people just screaming, screaming. the lyrics, <laughs> we are the champions. It's awesome. So the point that I was trying to make about how like I do like Queen, but I'm also like a Queen noob. Is it, This is going to make me sound really bad and maybe I shouldn't even say that it's on a, like a public platform, but I didn't know they were a British band. <laughs> Oh, you didn't? I didn't know they were. What no. did you think they I were? I don't know. I, I, I'm American. I assume everything's American. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Even didn't though... you just talk about on the last episode or the episode prior about how big China is? And yeah. how the U.S. thinks we're much yeah. bigger than we are? Exactly. And I'm guilty of it, too. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like, I'm in it. I'm aware I also, I also assumed he was white because so you had he never mostly really looks. I had done no research into this band at all. Well, I like the knew the is, songs that I knew their hits. I don't know any of their B-sides. I don't know any of their lesser known songs. I just, I know their hits because they're great. And that's kind of where my interest in the band ended. I knew he was from somewhere else because in Bohemian Rhapsody, he says Bismillah, yeah. which is Means Arabic. For What is it? For God? Yeah. For the glory of God or something mm-hmm. like that. I didn't and look that up. I remember listening to that when I was younger and saying, well, that's Arabic. And yeah. having my dad listen to it. And he's like, yeah, it's Arabic. So that's how I knew. Rita's Arabic or speaks Arabic. You're not I don't just you're speak not, Arabic you're not for Arabic. fun. I'm from the Middle East. <laughs> you, yeah. So I don't, for those of you who I don't know just Rita, go to college. which all of you probably know Rita. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't just go to college and learn Arabic. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so that's how I knew that he was. And it's funny because Rami Malik, who plays Freddie Mercury, is from Egypt. Yes. His family is. Yeah. So... He also, he says it perfectly in the movie. He says that word perfectly. But also, how talented is, is Rami, Freddie Rami? Mercury to tie in his know. own roots into some song that is pretty much randomly about something? Yeah. It's... I think Queen still can't even, the members of Queen still can't even tell you what it's about. No, it was just like his brainchild. This was just like what he, <laughs> this was, he had just a vision and he went for it. And it sounds like he got exactly what he wanted out of it and good for him i love the song i love it it's on it usually comes on once a week for me i i like parts of it because it sounds like six different songs to me it does but then you think to not to get on a tangent here but you know jesus of suburbia by green day yeah is a really long song and that's like four songs in one or something yeah no i i agree it's just it's music. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea all the time. And Don't worry. We can still be friends. Thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> so he goes home and... He's living with his parents and his sister. Jer, which is played by Manika Das. And Bomi, which is played by Ace Bati. And sister Kashmira, which is Priya Blackburn. And he his real name is Farooq Balsara. But he calls he prefers to be called Freddie. And his dad, there's like that tension between him and his dad. Right, because they came here to give him a better life and he's not appreciating his position of privilege and he's also not respecting his past and stuff. And so obviously his 
his dad has issues with that. And he calls him Farouk. And yes. His mom seems to be coming around to it, so she calls him Freddy. Yeah. And he's going out. He just says he's going out, and his dad's like, you're always going out. You should be working and like bettering yourself. And he's like, yeah, how's that worked for you? <laughs> and then he walks out. Big balls. That's for sure. It's ballsy talking to an That's immigrant. A quote from later. <laughs> <laughs> the big balls thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, he goes. He he's leaving. He's going to see a band play. This band's Smile is playing at the pub, and he's like jamming. I don't know. The song is stupid. I uh, yeah. It's boring. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's why they. Their lead singer is not queen. as good. The lead yeah. singer of Smile is not as good as Fred. Yeah, he went off and did. He was in another group but that group never went anywhere which is funny so he after the show he's walking out to the back to see the band and the band is their their front man is breaking up with them right he's gonna go join another band and this is where he sees mary mary austin which is played by lucy boynton Mm -hmm. and he compliments pretty i know she is and he compliments her scarf and she's like it's from biba yeah. The store she works at. I almost said boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> it's from boo boo. <laughs> Biba. Yes. And he sees Brian May, who's played by Gwillem Lee. Yeah. That's how I and said Roger it. And Roger Taylor, Lee. who's played by Ben Hardy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like a conversation breaks out. It's he's he's like, Yeah, I really like your band and I write songs, which could be of use to you. And they're like, Oh, okay, whatever. He's like, you're five minutes too late because our lead singer just left, so the band's dead. And he's like, well, I could be your singer. And they're like, not with those teeth. Oh, those teeth, mate. That's and so then, mean. I feel so bad for him. Yeah. Part. And then he like turns like he's going to walk away, and he's like, no, this is my shot. And he like just starts singing for them. And he basically says that because of his like dental situation, he has like four extra incisors or something, which creates extra room in his mouth and allows him to have an increased range, which is one of the things that Freddie Mercury was known for. He had like a four octave range. And he didn't know he was very self-conscious about his teeth. Actually, he didn't really know if they helped his singing, but he refused to ever get them fixed because he was afraid he would lose the vocal range. That happens a lot. I mean, Barbara Streisand's the same way with her nose. I think that she is probably still worried that getting it, getting any kind of work done would change the resonance and stuff and probably change. And when that's her age, she doesn't really need to be changing her nose. No. And it's like one of, it's one of the things she's known for at this point. Like Madonna and the tooth gap. Yeah. It's like, you end up being known for these things. And I think that Freddie Mercury was kind of ended up being known for that too a little bit. It was part of his look. Exactly. So I think that part's really interesting too because they harmonize together really well, Mm -hmm. which I think Queen was really good at doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't think I recognized that before I saw the film that the other members are harmonizing with him. It's not just the Freddie Mercury show and they're just playing the instruments. I mean, even the drummer is singing and you don't see a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I think it, yeah, I think it was a lot more common back then. I think that now with the way that bands tend to be like a one man show kind of thing, a lot of the time it's all done in post where it's like the main singer is harmonizing with themselves. Right. And I think to 21 Pilots, I'm pretty sure Josh Dunn, the drummer does harmonize with him. But when you watch them live, 
they've got the harmonization playing in the background with his the lead singer's voice. So Josh isn't singing into a mic on the side of his drum set in yeah. the same way Roger is in the film and has been in Queen and the band. So anyways, he basically sings for the band and they're like, holy shit, this guy can sing. And he's like, anyways, I'll await, I'll consider your offer. And then he like walks <laughs> off. So much confidence. And I'm not yeah. sure I couldn't find anything that said whether Freddie was that confident. And I I didn't see anything about that. I think Freddie Mercury was confident, but yeah. I don't know if that was really quite the interaction that they had. Oh, no, I think that it was like a he like was a roommate of one of them and had that was one of the things that I read was that the band's formation was not as simple as it was in the movie. Obviously they're going to simplify and smooth over a couple things, but he had shown interest in joining smile way before their lead singer left. He had been roommates with one of the band members. I think that Mary, the way that he met Mary was Mary, I think dated Roger Taylor. And that's how they met because I think that Roger was who he was roommates with. So that's how he and Mary met. And so, I mean, it's a movie. They're going to dramatize some things. They're going to like condense things to make it fit more easily into a movie package. Right. So I think that I don't know that he had that same kind of like bravado in order to become a part of the band because he knew the people and he had already shown interest in joining. Exactly. And it's funny that the band's name was Smile because... Roger Taylor was getting his dentistry license or he oh, was yeah. going into dentistry. Yeah. So it's funny that the band's name was Smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what one. an awkward laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so they have their first performance, <laughs> which is kind of funny. He's wearing his mom's shirt in it. Yeah. And he had already gone to see Mary at her shop and he was looking at women's clothes and He's like, oh, there wasn't a sign. And she's like, that's okay. I think more people should take risks. And so he's wearing a lot of like women's clothes and he has a very flamboyant style. And so when he shows up on stage in his mom's shirt, it's like kind of, we know that he's he's a little bit out there. Yeah. And then they have their new bassist on stage as well. John Deacon or Deakey is what they call him. And he's played by Joseph Mazzello. Yes. Who is Tim from Jurassic Parks. He was the uh, Jurassic Parks. There's one. <laughs> Well, there were more, but he was, I think, only in the first one. Yes, but obviously he's a lot older now. And yeah, I thought it was funny. I read a fun fact that Steven Spielberg didn't even recognize him in the film. That's so crazy because I feel like he still looks because I kept thinking I was like, oh, man, he looks so familiar. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, he does. I think he's still he looks pretty similar to me. I think so, too. Obviously, just as an adult and not a child anymore. But they're on stage and he's having trouble with a mic stand. And so he just yanks the mic up, which ends up being, I'm not sure if that's exactly how it happened, but it ends up being how he holds his mic. Right. It's got like a piece of the, the stand and he does that for the rest of and his career. Like, it's like his thing. And then yes. he sings the lyrics wrong and they're like, who the F is this kid? And he's like got a tambourine and he's just like super showy and theatrical on stage. But he's good. He's and great, the yeah. audience does question them, like, where's Tim? Who's this Packy? Yeah. And and then he wins them over, which is par for the course. I mean, that's one of the things that Freddie Mercury was known for. People didn't really interact with the, the audience that way before him. He's kind of 
broke the mold on that. Exactly. It's pretty interesting how unique he was. Yes. They talked a lot about how a lot of the songs that Queen recorded were in less than ideal conditions sometimes. And if he just had a thought come up in his mind for a song, he would just play it. And so he was known for coming up with songs in the most unusual places. So I think they started off by showing how unique he was from the beginning. And it's yeah. not like he built this persona because he thought that that's what the audience would want. It's truly who he was. Right. And he makes a point of that in the movie. He he says that when he's on stage, that's he becomes who he's supposed to be, who he's always oh, been meant to be. It's so sweet. Yeah. I love it. But I also thought like the whole time you're watching it, like how did anybody think this guy was straight <laughs> at any point? <laughs> They made such an emphasis on that, and I don't, yeah. I'm don't. i not totally convinced that there was that much emphasis on his sexuality back then. I know it was a different no, time, and you yeah. had the HIV-AIDS pan, uh, pandemic, <laughs> epidemic. Epidemic, yes. And I know that there were a lot of nuances with that, but I don't necessarily think that it's... They just made it... That's my one issue with this film, is that they made it seem... Like it was such a shameful thing. And like, if you notice the theme throughout it is when he's doing horrible things and abusing himself and ditching his friends in the band, it's when he's hanging out with his gay friends. And then, you know, when his straight friends and Mary come save the day and that's when he gets his redemption. And so that's the oh, one I don't know. piece of the film. That I, I think I that that's kinda... something that was actually historically accurate to a certain extent. What was his name? Paul Prenter played by Alan Leach, apparently was a very bad influence he on was, him. He was, but I don't think it was... created a big rift between him and Queen and led him down a really bad path. He did, but I don't think... I don't think it was as bad between Queen as Freddie as the film. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not, yeah. I mean, it, it just really made it seem like they don't reconcile until he gets his HIV diagnosis and you're kind of like, yes, no. there were there were a lot of historical inaccuracies there too. Queen never broke up. Brian and Roger actually went off on solo careers yeah, before Freddie Fred, did. Freddie was not the first <laughs> one to have a solo career. He ne he didn't break up the band to go or to do his own album and he while he was recording in Munich, he regularly took breaks to go perform with queen because they had recording commitments and stuff like that and he was honoring those while he was recording his solo album so obviously they're dr dramatizing things and they had to have a bad guy in the film mm -hmm. so they had to have a conflict of some sort right exactly so obviously it's dramatics because it's hollywood and right. they have to make a conflict and the conflict can't be that he has aids because that doesn't come yeah. until much later down so the i line. think that he was he never spoke super publicly about his sexuality and everything. I think that I read that even now people, some people consider him to be bisexual. Oh, totally. I but, mean, when you think about his relationship with Mary. Yeah. And he left everything to her. Right. They were, yeah, they were great friends their whole lives. But it, there, there's a lot of debate and he never as far as i know spoke on it publicly yeah and, and it, it also it was not the time to that yeah but it was like same-sex activities had been decriminalized like in the 70s in the uk so it wasn't illegal but it does seem like a lot of this stuff happened kind of underground and so it was a little bit more risque stuff was happening 
it was a little bit more shady just by nature of where it seemed to congr they congregated and stuff. Well, and they still kind of felt it, like they had to hide and they yeah, couldn't it was be proud a lot of, of who they were. Yeah, I'm it wasn't I mean, not that they're having the easiest time now, but it, things are certainly far better than they were in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that there was a bit of feeling like they needed to hide and stuff. And it was, Mary said that she knew that he was. If we're just going based off of the movie, I don't know how anyone didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know he was pretty, he was feminine and he was flamboyant. very flamboyant. Yeah. So a year later, they're, they're performing gigs all over England. Right. They're doing like college tours and, and stuff. And they, Freddie gets the idea to sell the van, make an album. He's like, we got to step it up. So that's what they do. So that's what they do. And, and they, he's dating Mary at this point. Yes. They are employing like, a, I don't know if this was like an actual thing that Queen did. Probably was. But they were employing like a bunch of different recording techniques like pouring beer on the drums and having coins on the drums and they're just getting wild and my favorite part is studio. when they're swinging around the, the microphone with the <laughs> trash can on it or whatever yes i like that it's really funny because that's that goes back to what they said freddie was known to record things in unusual environments and right. push the limits on what they could do yeah i mean he at least as far as the movie shows he was always pushing them to think outside the box and get creative and do something new and make new sounds and he wanted to be different yeah and he was he was he was that's very, yeah. why they're still such a popular band i feel because they're they're unique right and that's part of the reason why probably bohemian rhapsody has stood the test of time is because it's there's nothing else like it really no you made the comparison to green day but it's it's so different from bohemian rhapsody that's just like it 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 takes a really special mind to come up with something like that yes I think. and so they record and they're wearing down the tape which i read somewhere that brian may said that they really did wear down the tape hmm. that when they actually looked at it later it they were wondering what was going on with the tape. And when they looked at it, it was basically see-through. Oh. And that that was a main thing that they made a joke about in that scene when they're recording their album. Because right. they're students, and so they don't have a lot of time. They're not professionals, so they don't get... They get basically get time after the professionals are done in the studio. Right, right. And while they're recording... And EMI rep spots them and is like, oh, who's those guys? And gets a demo from them. And that's when the, we switch to dinner. It's Freddie's birthday dinner. Right. Mary and the guys are all invited to his parents' house for dinner where they talk about where they're from and how they got chased out. They by... start showing baby pictures <laughs> as they always do. And then he just goes to the piano and he sings happy birthday to himself. To himself, Yep. And this is where we find out that he has legally changed his name to Freddie Mercury, which his dad is not happy about. Yeah, I get it. Especially yeah. as an immigrant family, you should right. be proud of your name. And I don't think he wasn't proud of his name. I think he, again, it was him becoming who he was on the inside just based off of, what we know of him now it just that's a more fitting name for him it's very flamboyant it is so unlike then, any other yes and then he gets a phone call 
and I thought somebody died. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. He was so serious, but then I was like, oh, of course. I don't know why I thought somebody would die. But this is where they find out that John Reed, who's played by Aiden Gillen. The bad guy in Game of Thrones. Yes. I almost said Golden Thrones. <laughs> yes, he plays Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. I don't want to talk about Game of Thrones. It's going to upset me. <laughs> the uh, North remembers. <laughs> so this is where they find out that John Reed wants to manage them or meet with them at least who is the manager of elton john they go and they essentially get a deal and they offer them a u.s tour i think is isn't he mentions a tour at their meeting yeah but then i don't think they get the u.s tour until Bohemian he gets Rhapsody them on that popular the, bbc show yes 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 that's right and this is where they get their first big hit which is killer queen Ooh, i love that song so it's a good much. one and they're mad because they have to lip sync it and yeah. they can't play real drums. And yeah. that's just how BBC does things. And this is where they start focusing on Freddie because Mary makes a comment where she's like, you'll just have to make sure they're not looking at your lips. And so he's like doing all these movements and stuff and they're focusing on his crotch and this hip thrusting and stuff. I mean, he is a very sexual presence, I would say. Yeah, I would say that's probably accurate. It's it, I don't know if it's innately sexual so much it is it's just very over the top and flamboyant well then they're at home it's 1975 and this part was really interesting freddie and mary are laying down and he has the piano above his head and he plays the tune to bohemian oh, this rhapsody this was earlier this i think was when he renamed the band oh he when was... he proposes no he wasn't playing the Oh, he wasn't. No, he they wasn't. proposed. They're sitting on the couch. That's right. They were laying on the couch and she was naked. Regardless, that's not how it happened, apparently. I bet apparently, it wasn't. Apparently, the original way he proposed to Mary was he gave her a box inside of another box inside of another box inside of another box, which had the ring in it. Jeez, Freddie is fucking annoying. <laughs> she was totally shocked by the way. It's totally Freddie. Is yeah. What she was interviewed saying was that that was what Freddie liked to do. Right. Oh, okay. So he doesn't play the piano then. But the part no, this, where he plays the, the piano. Before, it was before um, they met with John Reed that he changed the band's name to Queen and his name to Freddie. And he was like, yes, it's Queen as in Her Majesty. It's Her Royal Highness. Her Royal Highness. <laughs> and yeah, so he then proposes to Mary. And this is when they find out that. They got booked for a U.S. tour. Right, because they hit, hit the charts in the U.S., and then all he says, it's so funny. He's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he, yeah. He looks like he's about to exclaim something like he's upset. And then he just is like, yes. Yes. And so they go, they also hire their lawyer, Jim Beach, played by Tom Hollander. And yes. he calls him Miami. Yes. He's like, you are now dubbed Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I dubbed thee. <laughs> the queen herself dubs thee Miami. I always liked or I always liked. I liked in the movie how they portrayed the band as all kind of being on the same page and having a very similar vision a lot of the time going forward. And considering two of the band members had like input on this film, I'm I have to assume that that's probably they were probably like that. They were, they talk a lot about how they were a family and basically anything anytime any one of them was like this is what we're going to do. Then everyone else was like, yep, that's what we're going to do. And this, it was the same with like the lawyer and the manager. They were like, that's what they want to do. That's what they're going to do. And I don't know if that's accurate, but 
Yeah, I don't know if that was accurate either, but it did seem like the band was pretty much on the same page. That yeah. doesn't mean to say that they never had conflict or didn't oh, disagree. Oh, absolutely. Because I think they did disagree. I think I love my, I'm in love with my car. was <laughs> like a big point of disagreement. I love that part where he's like throwing stuff and then they're like, not the coffee maker. <laughs> <laughs> not the coffee pot. They're like, oh, we could fight all we want, but don't break the coffee maker. So they go to meet with the record company. EMI records and Ray Foster, who's played by Mike Myers. Right. So weird. Completely so unrecognizable. Weird. Yes. So weird. Yeah. To make their next album, Freddie start shows up late fashionably and then starts to suggest that they incorporate opera into their next album. And he wants to call it a night at the opera. Right. He wants it to not necessarily be opera. He doesn't want to make an opera album, but he wants it to be as big and showy as musical theater and opera and he just he wants to make something different and big exactly and ray foster's like no people hate opera people hate opera but they get the okay to work on it he tells them to come up with an album they end up going somewhere remote like some farm or something yeah it's like it looked like ireland or scotland or something like some little small barn or something <laughs> and they're showing them all the part where they're showing them all to their rooms and paul shows dicky to his room and it's the basement and what does he say he says he's a small rooms don't get as cold, cold or something like that and he's like okay he's like okay <laughs> <laughs> which john deacon actually didn't want to be a part of the film and not no, because he just like gave his permission for them to use his music and stuff they said that he took a really hard he took freddie's death really hard oh and really struggled with it and so i think for him being a part of this project while exciting just wouldn't have felt the same without freddie probably would have like opened up it would have drudged up a lot for him so he he had taken it really hard when freddie died yeah he really didn't want to have like any part of this project but he wasn't nasty about it right no he was like yeah i'm all for it i just don't want to be there for it right i don't want to be consulted on it but feel free to use whatever you want yeah Including songs Which I think he had is, written. Because is, I think he wrote Another One Bites the Dust. But I think, because I was thinking about that this morning on my way over here, I think that that's probably the reason that he kind of had like the, he had, he had the least character in the movie. Yeah, they were less invested in him. He had, he was just there as the neutral third party kind of. Right. A lot of the conflict was coming between Brian and Roger and Freddie Deke was just kind of off to the side, just wanting to make music with his friends, not yes. really wanting to rock the boat in any way. Right. I want to say that that's probably because Brian and Roger actually had impact on the movie. Like they were part of the production. And so I think that that's probably why. But also Deke wasn't, he was like their fourth bassist. He wasn't their first choice, like it says in the movies. Like they'd gone through a couple other bassists before they got to him. Whereas Brian and Roger and Freddie were and Freddie were kind of the founding members of Queen. They are all this creative process when they're all out on the on the farm is funny because Queen very much, and I don't know how other bands have done it, but Queen very much wanted to give credit and royalties to whoever created the song, whoever wrote the song, right. So they all have different songs that they've written. You know, that's where the I'm in love with my car comes up, (laughs) which is not the best song. Right. And then you're my best friend, which is a really good song. 
obviously Bohemian Rhapsody comes into the works here. I thought it was really funny how the they did the rooster thing. The rooster thing. Where the rooster is going to like caca in the morning or whatever. Or, or, you know, oh, and it's yeah. like Galileo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I must have like looked away. I missed that part. But they show Freddie writing it in the room. Mm-hmm. And he gets yeah. emotional. Right. He has like a moment of like genius. And then he ha- he says that that line. Sometimes I wish I'd never been born at yes. all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then he's like, yes, this is this is genius. And so then they go. And I like the scene where he's like, higher, higher, <laughs> higher. He's like, what does he say? My balls are sucking up. Into yeah, my I feel like my balls are in my chest. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I mean, that's a really funny part, actually. Yeah. And. I think that Dicky didn't do vocals. So that's what I read is that oh, he okay. actually wasn't part of the vocals. He was included in the video for Bohemian Rhapsody singing. Right. But he wasn't actually good at singing. Mm. So he didn't really harmonize the way the other three did together. But okay. during all of this too, they're recording Bohemian Rhapsody. They're having fun with it. And then he's writing Love of My Life for Mary. And he's singing it. And... Paul is watching him. So, sorry, just wanted to go back to the where they're recording Bohemian Rhapsody and they're recording the guitar solo. I really liked, it didn't really ha- like have any impact on the movie, but the interaction between, was it Roger? Brian. Brian and Freddie when he's in the booth and they're talking back and forth and they've got like a little bit of banter. I just thought it was a really cute, uh, yeah, charming and he says, scene. You know, and he's like, this I, is the he's like, I think it's beautiful. Put a little more heart and soul into it. And he's like, like taking the piss. Yes. And then yeah. he's like, and then comes the operatic section and he's like, I love it, Fred. Like he doesn't even know what he's saying, what he's talking about. Right. He doesn't know what's coming. Yeah. It's just, it was like a very sweet scene to me just their interaction in my opinion it showed a lot like how much they cared about each other yeah they were a family yeah and they they did have that moment when they were meeting with the manager before they even signed their first tour and stuff where they're talking about we're four misfits and no two of us are alike but we're a family and we're going to be singing to the people in the back who are also misfits we belong to them and stuff and i think that that's kind of that was their philosophy moving forward as far as like their music and their, they had, they had to stick together kind of thing. Yeah. And they were a family as yeah. dysfunctional as they were. Oh, so he's, he's writing love of my life and yes. Paul is watching him and little bastard comes up and just kisses him. Well, and you can tell Freddie doesn't quite resist it, but he resists it. Yeah. And he's like, I'm with Mary. Right. I, so I didn't know what, Paul Printer's role was really like was he a manager or like was he security like I didn't know really go- throughout the movie and so when I was like making little notes to myself so that I knew who each person was I just put Alan Leach played Paul Printer rat because <laughs> <laughs> he I, is a rat he is I and hated he was him a rat from, in like, real life I hated him from like the moment which is so sad because that actor, if you watch him, he's in Downton Abbey and he's one of the most lovable characters in Downton Abbey. Oh. So it was really sad when I saw him and he was a villain. I was like, no. Right. And as far as Paul Printer goes, I actually like did some research to try to figure out like, did was he this like horrible, awful person? And apparently he was a really bad influence on Freddie and got him 
into some like messy situations and stuff, but I don't know that he was quite the villain that the movie paints him to be. Freddie kicked him out of his life for throwing some rambunctious party right. without Freddie's it, was, it wasn't because he was like keeping information mm-hmm. from him and all of the stuff. I mean, obviously it's dramatized, but I did read that like his family said that he never had a sexual relationship with Freddie. They never disowned him for being gay and it wasn't quite the same villain backstory <laughs> that we get in the movie. So, But they had to have somebody who was going to take Freddie right. down his path of destruction. But and... it just, whenever you get into situations where this is based on real people and their lives and stuff, I always feel a little bad for like Paul Printer's family. Yeah, especially because he died from HIV related complications, I think a month before or three one to three months before freddie did i was reading about that he had passed away yeah and they did freddie from it yeah and they did split with him on not friendly terms he was kicked out essentially yeah but it was over something that wasn't right it wasn't because he didn't tell him about live aid right Right. (laughs) i mean they all knew about it because they were still banned right and they they were not a last minute addition to the right concert And so they create Bohemian Rhapsody. They play it for Ray Foster, who's like six minutes. It's six bloody minutes. And then he's like, I pity your wife if she thinks six minutes, if you think six minutes is a long time. And they're like laughing. (laughs) And the band's kind of behind Freddie on this. They're they're not trying to push their own songs that they've written. They think they stand firmly behind him that Bohemian Rhapsody is the single. Right. I mean, Roger does get a little excited when he's like, the lead single will be I'm in love with my car. And he's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, he says he wants it to be, you're my best friend. Oh. But then he's like, or even what about I'm in love with my car? That's what um, the manager says. Yeah. So Ray like, Foster that's, wants that's it to be, the you're kids my will like get behind. That's something that the kids will jam out to in their cars and bang their heads around to. And it was a, that was a nod to Wayne's world. <laughs> the whole sitting in the car, banging your head around thing. And they keep fighting. They keep fighting. And he thinks it will, play better with the young demographic and no radio station will play a six minute song and they decide to leave. And the funny thing is that the management and the lawyer. So Miami starts listing off other bands who have long songs. And when they talk about leaving EMI records, he kind of tells them he's got your balls in a vice grip essentially, but you can walk out. (laughs) So they walk out. Right. Which this is another place where the movie deviates from reality. Bohemian Rhapsody was released by EMI Records as their lead single, even though they did think that it was too long. They're like, we don't like that it's six minutes, but we'll do it. But whatever. I mean, when you think about Pink Floyd, yeah, and how long their songs were, yep, and their songs were released just fine, and the reception was great. But they walk out in a tizzy, and he's like, "You will forever be known as the man who lost Queen." And then he sits there, and he's like, "No one will ever know the name Queen." And they throw <laughs> like a brick through the window, yeah, which. Freddie did do, but it wasn't over that. They said that Freddie did get angry and throw a brick through the window at somebody. So that scene was there, but it wasn't based off of that. But I think that part's funny because he's, what does he say? He's, he's like, like Christ, know. like when it comes through the oh, door yeah. or through the window, he ducks and he's like, Christ. And yeah, covers like his he's head. being shot. He, the band says something about like you and your gold discs or something. And he's like, you'll never get a gold disc. Yeah, he showed them. Also, we didn't mention that like while they're on tour and everything, Freddie is like growing distant from Mary and questioning his sexuality and they're having 
really difficult conversations on the phone where he's asking to talk to the cats and she's like don't you miss me and he's what like a stupid question yeah, he's like of course i do and then she says i love you and he doesn't say it back and so like things are going south for their relationship and he's they show you know a man at a truck stop which is adam lampert who Oops. is who has toured with queen oh. as their lead singer i didn't know that that's mm-hmm. kind of cool so they show that you know obviously freddie's gonna follow this guy into a truck stop kind of thing sketchy <laughs> so anyways after they leave freddie kind of goes to the, his dj friend yes kenny everett played by dickie bow yeah who has a radio show and he basically connives with him to is that a word release the record yeah release the single yes so he he gets it released on the radio and it becomes a huge hit and it has mixed reviews. The critics are like, it's kind of stupid. It's contrived. Yeah, it's, it's just meandering. It's, it's too long. long. And yeah, so then they're, he's sitting on the couch with after the world tour, because they go on a world tour. They show him singing the song. His hair's a little shorter. Thank and God. And people are obviously singing the song back to him, like we talked about the truck stops. And it was very common. Freddie was obsessed with his cats. So it actually yes. was common for him to call and ask to speak to his cats. Yeah, I so. read that too. He was very much a cat person. So he he loved his cats. He he would actually make sure that the TV was turned on to his live shows so they could oh, watch like in him. the end, in the end with the yes, with the live aid. That's exactly why he he wanted them to be close to him and watch it. Yeah. It's so cute. Yeah. It's honestly so precious. If anybody else did that, you'd be like, ooh, cat lady. But <laughs> Freddie Mercury doing it is precious. So Mary essentially is like, what's wrong? Well, he shows her the love of my life, how they're singing that back to him. Yes. He's not even singing it. And he's like a crowd full of people, you know, singing your song. And but he's saying it kind of in an empty fashion. He yes. doesn't he doesn't really have emotion behind it. He's like, I need to tell you something. And she's like, what is it? Just say it. And he says, well, in the movie, he says he's bisexual. And she's like, Freddie, you're gay. <laughs> right. Like, like she knows. And they break up. And yes. he tells her she can't take the ring off because she goes to give him back the ring. And he's like, no, you must never take this. Right. Off. I mean, she's obviously dealing with like her own trauma. She's like, I keep settling for I love you, Mary, but I love you, Mary, but I'm And gay. this isn't even your fault. Right. It's not something you can control. Right. So it's even more heartbreaking for her. But then he goes over to her and he's like, no, I want you to keep the ring on. You promised. And I want you in my life. Like, you're still my best friend. I still love you. Right. I just don't want to be with you in the romantic sense. Right. Which and, is a very heartbreaking but scene. But that's the thing is that I don't think that happened between him and Mary. I don't think that they changed a lot of Mary's story in this mm-hmm. to protect her her story because she didn't she didn't allow them to film on Freddie's property. There were a lot of things. I think she probably just didn't want to be a part of the film either. Right. And so they did a lot of they took a lot of artistic liberties in this film with her oh, character yeah. specifically to protect the real story. Right. So I don't think that there was ever actually like a breakup and where he did all this stuff because they seemed very close and she seemed very fond of him. And I think they did date for like six years though. Yeah, they did. But in the film, it makes it seem like he just totally broke her heart and then she never came around. She would come around, but she never really came around to the heartbreak of it all. Right. She kind of seems like the ex who's devastated the whole time. Yeah. 
and until the very last minute of right. the show which isn't how it was she was very supportive he even bought her a house very close to him that mm-hmm. you know he when he died he left his estate to her he she's the only person who knows where he's buried on his estate oh he gave specific instructions on what he wanted done with his ashes and she's the only human being who knows all of that and he was i think quoted with saying that she was his only true friend his whole life yeah and so the song love of my life he meant it right he meant every word and it was meant for just her that's a beautiful thing to give your friend right and i think they had a beautiful friendship yes i think so too which isn't i don't think it's the focal point of the movie at all i don't think they had a beautiful friendship in the film the same way it seems like she just went off and kind of lived her life and he got upset with her and it was like they would she would drop in every now and then. Mm-hmm. And he got upset when she started dating. And that's when probably not pregnant, what happened. I really didn't like that line where he's like, how could you or whatever? Yeah, I don't. It, 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 it made him seem very selfish. Yes. About their relationship. Like he couldn't be with her because of his sexual orientation or whatever. But he also didn't want her to be with anyone else. Exactly. So then fast forward to 1980 and Freddie sporting a short haircut and his classic mustache. Yes. Which is his, his, I think his signature look. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was interesting. And this is just like the <laughs> thing that they do with movies where they do like a cut and he turns around and he's like, what do you think? And he's like, it's definitely gayer. And it's like, you're in his house. Did you, you didn't see his face before you got into this hallway. <laughs> I know it's, <laughs> He's checking himself out in the mirror and you just walk in and help yourself. But right. he's bought a huge ma- Obviously mansion. Obviously, he's talking about when he says, what do you think? He's talking about the house. Yeah. He's like, I'm talking about the house, darling. Whatever. <laughs> so he has a discussion with Roger. Roger congratulates him on the house. And then he talks about how he's got a room for every cat. <laughs> and he asks him to stay for dinner. And he says he can't because he has other obligations. So you can tell kind of saddens Freddie. Wife and kids and that whole thing and he talks about how he bought mary a house not too far from him so mary's right down the street like up or up above him which is true she has that whole light scene yeah (laughs) so he really appears lonely so he calls paul to just put together a party right but also tensions i think at this point had already been growing within the band because freddie's late and he's drinking and he's high and they're having issues yeah and it very much portrayed him like he was like i am this band but he never really had that attitude about it so i don't think so but he tries to talk to mary and is that where the light scene happens where he has her he calls her and he's like have a drink with me and she's very she's she's zoning out yeah she's she's like do you do you you have a drink and she's like yep (laughs) she doesn't (laughs) she doesn't and then he turns his light off. She turns her light on, off, on. They play this like little game and then she says, good night, Freddie. Yeah. And he says, good night, Mary. And then I think it might not be that night, but maybe it was that he calls up. I think he calls up Paul, right? And says, throw together a party. Yeah, get together a party. It, I don't think it's that night because the band is at the party. Yeah. So, so I he, think it was another night. He throws a party. The band shows up. He's rude to them. Yeah, he's just kind of a drunk prick. Yeah, he they leave because they're right. like, you're an asshole. He's like, we're going to go. So they leave and he continues to get rambunctious. And at the end of the night, he's by himself and there's a waiter cleaning up. And he just gropes him. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, 
the guy gets really offended. Like, if you touch me again, I'll hit you. Yeah. <laughs> and it ends up being Jim Hutton. Right. Who Which was is his not... partner when he passed. And yes. So he's played by Aaron McCus- McCusker. Yes. And he's not. That's not how they met. No, he, he was, was like a, a hairdresser, hairdresser. But apparently they met in a club. They met and Freddie offered to buy him a drink, but he didn't want it. And then they met again a year later in a club again and offered to buy him a drink and he agreed. Yeah. So this is, again, tailored for Hollywood. Right. So they have a frank discussion and Jim gives him his name and says, find me when you find yourself. Right. He says... Freddie's like, I like you. And they kiss. And he's like, I like you too, but call me when you like yourself. Which, oh, spitting facts, right? It's going to be a minute. So then fast forward to rehearsals. The band's there. Freddie's not there yet. And Brian comes up with We Will Rock You. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, before that, though. Paul convinced John to talk to Freddie about going solo. So, oh, yeah. so John mentions it to him and Freddie gets super offended and, and fires then, him. Doesn't yeah. He fire and, him? and Paul, he's like, well, what do you think, Paul? And Paul's like, I don't know anything about this. I'm so okay, innocent. Paul. I know. Well, so then John, John gets fired and then they go because this is when they make Miami the manager. Yes. And- but they're like getting into a fight because they fired John without consulting the band and well, they that, were not happy about it. And I think I thought that that happened after the We Will Rock You scene where Paul approaches Reed to say we should convince Freddie to go solo because aren't they leaving that rehearsal when that happens? They were at a party, I think. Okay. This is where they were at a party where Freddie meets Mary's. Oh, yeah. After friend. one of Queen's performances. Yes. Yeah. It's a Queen performance. Yeah. That happens at. And of course, We Will Rock You is a hit at the show. They show it being played and. Right, that was where Freddie was being late and all that stuff because he's late to the performance and they're trying to create a song that the audience can sing or perform. So they come up with the iconic stomp, clap, yep. rhythm. Which yeah. like Queen is responsible for many of the most iconic bass lines ever. I know. It's really funny because when I was younger and you heard them on the radio, I always thought they were some young band that was brand new because it felt brand new to me. Yeah. But they weren't. No. They were popular before I was even born. And at the show where they show that We Will Rock You is popular, he sees Mary with her new boyfriend. And he is visibly upset. Yes. And yeah, so then he fires Reed and his behavior gets worse, showing up to rehearsals late and fights with Roger. He hints at the fact that Roger cheats on his wife or something like that. And as they're arguing, oh my gosh, that part where he just shoves the paper in his face face and they're arguing. And then Diki just starts playing the baseline to another one bites the dust. Yeah. And And they they stop. They get like, they're fighting and they're like, that's good. That's good. That's really good. So and he's like, yeah, I know if you guys would just shut the fuck up and sing. <laughs> and stop fighting. Yeah. Stupid idiots. No. So that's when the band goes to the press conference where the reporters are hounding Freddie about his sex life and his orientation and that he's been in gay orgies. And he asks that woman, you know, that thing between your legs, does it bite? And he Yeah. And they're just... like, are your parents proud of you? He's like, are your parents proud of you? <laughs> it's like. Just all these invasive questions. Right. They're badgering him. 
and he is overwhelmed. He's dazed. Like David said, it kind of seems like he's going to pass out or something, but he's just really high and out of it. Yeah. And, and very overwhelmed. Yes. With everything that's happening. And then they do the video for I Want to Break Free, which is the video to end it all for them which, in real life because it offended so many conservatives in the United States right. that they that's ref- where they, they felt- refused to play it on the radio. And that was really where they dropped off in America. But, and, it was, but the BBC, they didn't care. They no. played that shit all over. And that's why Queen, I think, continued to have success in the UK before the Live Aid. They were they were still very big in the UK, even though they kind of dropped off in the US. Yeah. So it's it's honestly an iconic music video, too. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Just the, the scene of Freddie Mercury with his mustache in drag yeah is it's, it's just and it's they all hard commit to, right they all commit to the drag it's not just oh because freddie's gay he's committing to the drag no they're they're all committed to it right and they all do a really good job yeah but then it obviously gets a lot of backlash and freddie being kind of the face of the group gets the brunt of it yeah, so it's like freddie mercury did this it's like even though it wasn't his idea to dress and drag he didn't write the song, but Freddie is queen as far as a lot of the public is concerned. I also think it's funny that they're just doing house chores. Yeah. yeah. While they're singing this like song. Dusting and stuff. And fun fact, that has nothing to do with the movie. But when I had a night with my friends, it was a second bachelorette party. My friends took me out to a drag show. And in the middle of the drag show, the host her name was Electra Dupree said she had a surprise for me. And I was super drunk at this point. (laughs) And I look over and this woman's walking up to me. Freddie Mercury was there. (laughs) No, this woman's (laughs) walking up to me and the woman says, Hey babe. And it's, it was my husband at the time, (laughs) fiance Zach. And he had convinced the drag Queens to dress him up in drag oh my so gosh. that he could surprise me and perform for me. And he performed, I want to break free because he <sighs> was so thinking, good. Well, he was thinking because they dress in drag in the mu- music video, but then the, the host got on afterwards and she's like, now what the fuck kind of song are you singing before you get married? Like, I want to break free. Like that's a stupid <laughs> like, song. He was like, oh, I wasn't even thinking about it like that. <laughs> and typically for drag Queens, they don't perform songs sung by men. They perform songs sung by women because that's the whole point. They're dressing in drag. So they do have the opposite drag where women will sometimes dress as men and sing songs performed by men. So it was Mm. kind of weird because Zach was like dressed as a woman and then singing as Freddie Mercury. So So he was a man dressed as a woman singing a song by a man dressed as a woman. Yes, exactly. And that was his thought process behind it. I know he wasn't trying to break free, obviously, but it was was a very entertaining... (laughs) And if he would let me post it, I would post the picture of him, but I don't think he's going to let me post it. So you guys can't see it. I remember you telling me about this and being like, oh, I'm kind of glad I wasn't there. (laughs) I don't need those (laughs) kind of nightmares. Everybody knew because my friend Casey kept recording me. So every time they would make an announcement of a new performer, she'd pull out her phone and start recording me. And I never knew why. I thought she, or not recording me, but holding her camera phone up, her camera phone (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) Her phone, she would hold her phone up to me, pointed at me. Oh my gosh, why am I having a hard time? She would look like she was taking a photo. (laughs) Oh my gosh, my brain's stuck in the 90s. (laughs) Can't my phone. 
And I kept wondering why. And then I realized it's because they were all in on it. So everybody knew oh, about me. Okay. They all knew that Zach was doing this. Well, th that's fun. Did you even know he was there? No, I actually, a lot of things made sense because I had to go to the bathroom. And my friend, minor misdemeanor, who's, that's her drag name. Oh, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> her drag name is minor misdemeanor. She, I told her I had to go to the bathroom and she was like, wait. And I was like, what? And she goes, okay, well just here, let's go together. And she told me to go in one stall because I guess they had told Zach to go into the bathroom and hide in the stall. <laughs> and so he's sitting there hiding in the stall while I'm using the bathroom. <laughs> and That's so minor good. misdemeanors talking to me and like asking me questions and stuff about how the night's been going. Yeah. So it was oh just like gosh. all of these things. They were like, why do you have to get up and go to the bathroom? Like, why did you have to do this? Why did... Because another That's thing... how those things always go is you're like, everyone's acting so weird, but you never suspect anything. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, my God, it all makes so it much sense. It all makes so much sense. And earlier yeah. in the day, Zach had we share each other's locations. And so I got an update and it was like, Zach has stopped sharing his location with you. And I was like, <laughs> and I sent him a screenshot and I was like, what and he goes oh that's really weird i just and he said something like i reset my phone and it must have just reset my location services but it was because he was at sebastian's house and he thought if i looked him up i would see he was at seven doogie's house and be like why are you there you're supposed to be working oh my gosh he said he was doing uber <laughs> so it's really funny but anyways that's that funny. was like a very long tangent to basically say that zach is a huge queen fan did he watch the movie with you yes he watched it He's watched it every time. I actually originally went and saw this in theaters with Charity mm. because we grew up loving Queen. Her mm -hmm. parents would take us in the car all the time camping or to Cherry Creek Reservoir and we would play Queen and they would do the Wayne's World thing with us during Bohemian oh, Rhapsody cool. and that's where I learned about it. I didn't realize it was from Wayne's World. I thought it was just something cool her family did. Yeah. You're like, they're so original. <laughs> yeah. So we obviously, because, you know, her dad tragically passed away. So yeah. when it, came out we made it a point to go see it together in honor oh, of him that's cute and it was we loved it i will talk about our final thoughts later <laughs> so anyways i want to break free backfires yes on them. and he and tries it, in the middle of this he tries to get in touch with jim and he looks him up in the phone book and they're like hundreds of jim huttons right and he's like whatever <laughs> yeah he's clearly struggling with stuff he this creates a fight within the band where Freddie's like, I want to do something different. I, we're just, all we do is record and go on tour and record and go on tour. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're a band. That's what we do. <laughs> and then he breaks it to him that he signed a, a solo deal for $4 million. They're like, how dare you? <laughs> he, he essentially is like, you guys all have wives and families and everything, but I don't have anything. He's like, I need to have something that's my own. And so he's doing this and he's like, you're killing the band. You're breaking up queen. And you, you need us more than we need you. So essentially what he says, which is funny because they didn't break up like we talked about. Right. But the other thing is, uh, John Lennon broke up the Beatles. Yeah. I Yoko just speaking. <laughs> Killed the, ba Killed it the Beatles. It makes me think of Flight of the Concords with have you seen it? No. Flight of the Concords is uh, the New Zealand yes. duo. And there's an episode where Brett starts dating this girl named Coco. And <laughs> they just ask Jermaine not to come on their dates with them because he's like on all their dates with them. Mm -hmm. And he takes offense to it. So he calls, he starts calling her Yoko. <laughs> <laughs> and Brett gets really mad at him. 
He's like, what did you call her? And he's like, I called her Yoko because, you know, Yoko's splitting up the band. And he throws a sandwich at his face because he's so angry. So women have broken up bands for as long as we can remember. But yeah. yeah, John Lennon was basically the one. I think the Beatles were ready to come back and record an album together and continue being a band and he was like yeah i'm not coming back so i I, again don't know that much about the beatles not a huge fan we just during our little aside where we eat our donuts we talked about how we both didn't know that fat bottomed girls was written by was a queen song i thought it was a Beatles song i don't know why i just would have assumed it was a. I think that that happens a lot with queen songs where it's like i know the song but i didn't explicitly know that it was a queen song and i'm like oh yeah yeah i know that one Obviously, they're big Fat ones. Bottom girls, you make the rockin' world go round. Right. That's his ode to you. To me? <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying well, you to know, say? Nowadays, the modern version of the Fat Bottomed Girls song would be like Apple Bottom Jeans. Ew. Boots with the fur. Yeah, so that does make me think of Step Up too, which I liked. We're going to have to put it on the list, right? The streets. Yeah. So fast forward to 1984. Freddie moves to Munich to record his solo album named Mr. Bad Guy. Yes. And he's engaging in drugs and alcohol and orgies. And yeah, he is, (laughs) as Mary says later, burning the candle at both ends. He is either working or partying. And he's at this point, he's coughing and there's blood in his napkins and he's he's sick. Right. There's little there's an inkling that he is not doing well. Yeah, and during this time, Miami's trying to reach him. Paul is answering the phone. He's telling him there's this live aid. I want to get the band together. Paul's like screening his calls from Mary and saying like, oh, he's just working really hard. Like, I can't let you talk to him because he's working so hard. Stupid Paul. Basically, Paul is being like a leech and he's like, he's going to make me an album and then we're going to just have sex and do drugs and rock and roll rock and roll and i I hated him in this movie yeah he is not a good person in this movie the real we mentioned it but the real paul printer probably wasn't this bad of a guy right but he was a bad influence on freddie he probably wasn't the best friend to have in his life yeah he led freddie down a dark path very reckless created problems within queen Yes, they, they the ser- members of Queen did not like him. No, 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 no. He and did, he tried he, to insert himself in band relations. Yeah, and- he did not get along, I think, with any of the other members but mm-hmm. Freddie. That's he's when like you know that, it's a problem. He's like that asshole that is like <laughs> a friend of your friend and they're always there and you're like, fuck, get out of here. <laughs> you're like, can you shut up? <laughs> right. No one cares what you have to say. This isn't about you. <laughs> <laughs> so Mary shows up kind of unannounced. And sees Freddie like collapsed on the couch, surrounded by alcohol and cocaine. And he's very happy to see her. And he's like, I'm just been, I've been working so hard. And she says something about how she's had, she had a bad feeling. She had a bad dream about him, that something was bad was happening, which I took to imply that she had a bad feeling about like him getting sick. Maybe. But then when she says later what her dream was that he didn't have a voice then I think it was just more about the the environment that he was surrounding himself in. Right. But that's, I think, where it really strays from Freddie Mercury's timeline. Because it wasn't like the right. band and Mary were the ones who pulled him out of this 
right he did horrible path he had gone down he never had actually stood up for himself and gotten this guy out of his life on his own right he never had a moment where he realized that information was being withheld from him he knew about the live aid concert the whole time he never had this trip back to london to reconcile with the band and get the band Mm -hmm. back together because the band never broke up so i think he did end up pulling himself out of this situation that he was in but it wasn't quite as dramatic as it was in the movie. Which I think is why I have a problem with it is because I know they were doing it for Hollywood and I actually read an article that kind of gave the same insight is the Mm -hmm. fact that even though it's hailed as a really great LGBTQ film, I do think that the themes in the film is like, oh, Mary and his straight friends in right. the band it, it are the ones who are straight edge and who don't do anything it wrong. It was celebratory of like Freddie Freddie Mercury right. and and he is a gay icon or a bisexual icon, whatever however you want to consider him or see him or whatever. He is a great symbol for that mm-hmm. group. And just like being who you are and being accepted for who you are by the people around you and his fans. And but I think that the movie, while it was celebratory of Freddie Mercury, it wasn't necessarily celebratory of the LGBTQ community. Right. It just really portrayed. I didn't like how it was like Paul and his gay friends were the ones who led him down this path of drugs, sex and rock and roll. And, you know, he gets HIV and like all of these things. All the bad stuff that happens to him is when he's around his gay friends, but then his straight friend Mary I, I don't flies across know the country necessarily to that, save him. I don't know that that necess- I can see where you're coming from with that, but I do think that like Jim was a very positive influence on his life. I think that they could have maybe emphasized that a little bit more, but I think that the one of the more powerful scenes, even the even more powerful than Mary coming to him and telling him that he's loved and he doesn't need to be scared and all of that kind of stuff was the scene where he first meets Jim in the movie. And Jim says, I like you, but you need to like yourself first. Right. And I think I thought that was really good. I wish that there had been like a little bit more of that kind of stuff. The more him and Jim dynamic. And actually, because I don't necessarily think that they portrayed him being gay as being a bad thing. I think it was more just Paul was bad I, and I, that was that it, was kind of like the that. gay thing it was more just like his gay friends were the influence on him that led him this down is this one path. gay friend regardless it just i didn't like that piece right right like we're demonizing like it just made it seem like mary and his friends is a little band were the heroes it was a like, little white savior-ish right like yeah. it just was kind of like i didn't like that because i don't think that that happened i think he was a strong individual who got himself out of the situation right. it would have been it nice. too late by the time he got himself out of the situation yeah but there was a lot of recklessness going on then right. with intravenous drugs and all those kinds of things yeah. that led it just you know it was given that whole viewpoint that hiv only gay people got hiv and right then- and that was definitely the prevailing theory at the time mm-hmm. and it was the furthest thing from the truth right it's really interesting. It would have been nice if he would have, if they would have incorporated a couple more like positive gay influences in his life. I'm sure he had them. I mean, he was big, very big in like the gay club scene and stuff like that. So absolutely. So I'm sure that he had those positive influences. It just happened to be that the way that they did it in the movie, the one bad influence was really his only tie to the gay community. Right. So it did kind of end up looking like that and freddie mercury don't need no man come on but there is a cute video that you see of him and jim he's in the bathtub and he's got all these bubbles and he's messing around with the water and jim's like don't do that don't do that and he's like i'm 
having fun, darling, or something like that. It's just, <laughs> I, he's see, so unapologetically himself. That was one of the things that, again, doing research for this podcast, I didn't do any real research. It, <laughs> I didn't watch any interviews with Freddie Mercury. Like any, I didn't watch anything of him live to know how accurate Remy Malik's performance was. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know. Well, Rami... Was, is it Rami? Rami? It's Rami. Rami. Okay. Technically in Sorry. the Arab world, it's Rami, but. <laughs> Rami. Yeah, exactly. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. He actually had a movement coach and he studied cool. Freddie's movements. Someone did this on YouTube. If you put the Live Aid performances side by side, he does the same exact thing that Freddie I, did. I imagined that that was pretty choreographed just because it's such a well-known live performance. There's no way that he wouldn't have just like basically done the same performance yeah and like him I can, looking through his legs and all of the walking back and forth and stuff that he did i'm sure was very accurate i i didn't watch the performance after this but well, I, I, can, I could watch it and imagine that yeah. it was very accurate i can link both those videos so our listeners can watch them too okay cool but yes rami malik i'll watch it too <laughs> yes rami malik was did have a movement coach and he worked hard to yeah. study Freddie's mannerisms and it's uncanny how close he got. And I, he deserved the Oscar a thousand percent. He deserved to win best. That's actor. awesome. He's so good. I've the only things that I've really you see seen Mr. Him, Robot, Mr. Robot <laughs> and this, and I'm just like, he's in twilight. Yes, he is. That's true. He's also in <laughs> night at the museum. He is. He just played all these really oh my minor God, People roles. were so upset when he was in night at the museum. They were like, this white boy's playing a Pharaoh. We're like, dude, He's from Egypt. He's Egyptian. Yeah, he's Egyptian. His name is Rami. Like, come on. Did you know he has an identical twin? Yes. I did know that. And him and Lucy Boynton, the girl who plays Mary Austin, actually date in real life. Oh, I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah, he made a shout out to her. When he accepted the Best Actor Award, he made a shout out. He thanked Freddie Mercury and the Queen, the members of Queen. And then he thanked her. And he said something so sweet to her. And he was just like, he said something like, you're the essence of Bohemian Rhapsody. And he gave her so much credit, which was very sweet. But that confirmed their relationship. So they're in love. So Paul gets fired. He In the rain. He like breaks up with him in the rain. And then under pressure. want to see your face again. (laughs) And then under pressure starts playing. Yeah. Which I never actually. I didn't know that was a Queen song. I thought that was a David Bowie song. I I really just thought it was a David Bowie song. I obviously knew it by the time I saw the film. It's just when I was younger, I didn't know it. So he calls Miami. Yes. While he's watching TV and Paul had threatened to. Oh yeah. Paul blackmail. Paul goes and interviews and says, I, we had a huge sexual affair and and his sexual escapades. He's a sad little boy on the inside. And I think Paul Prenter did do that. Like he he didn't go, he didn't go on talk radio, but he did. uh, There was an article, I think in a paper. And I don't think he necessarily talked about Freddie's like sex life. He really just talked shit about Freddie. Like it was just kind of like a friend who was ousted trying to say some shit about you. And Freddie wasn't even bothered by it. From what I read, he was like, whatever. Yeah, it didn't seem to really have any impact on. I guess when you're that big, too, you're going to have haters and you're going to have people say shit about you. So you can either choose to let it bug you but i think in freddie's case he didn't really care what people thought of him yeah we can only dream that we'll get that big someday (laughs) 
I'd probably cry all the time. I know. I have <laughs> trouble right like, now. That... When people give us feedback right now, I'm like, they hate us. <laughs> it's like that meme where it's like, hey, do you take constructive criticism? <laughs> Me already crying. Sure. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly yeah. us. David and I are basically the same person. Yeah. The only difference is our gender. <laughs> yeah. But our personalities are very similar. Yeah. So he calls Miami and asks about Live Aid and he wants to apologize to the band. And Miami tells him, you know, it's booked. I can put in a favor to the organizer, Bob Gel- Geldof, to let you You're perform. going in all these details and I was watching <laughs> it going like, yeah, it's not important. But he, you know, he goes to see Miami and yeah, he Miami won- basically tells him like, you you know, the, the, the band, band's really upset. They don't want to see you, but. You know, they end up agreeing. They come in. Miami's the reason that. Hmm? Late. They yeah, come they in late just, come in just late. to stick it to him. And exactly. they do a couple of things just to kind of stick it to him. And they're give him upset. A little, they're hurt. They're giving him a taste of how he was acting. Yeah. And they're, they're hurt. He was their brother. Right. It was very important to him. And he said some really awful things. He did. Mainly to deaky that was oh when he's like poor deaky yeah he's like going through he's like you'd be a dentist and you'd be sad you'd be writing your dissertation that nobody would read and deaky nothing comes to mind i was like oh shit <laughs> it's so brutal sad. and i don't think freddie was mean like that no, i'm no, sure no, no, no. but i mean they that's fought that, like a family i'm sure yeah i'm sure they did but obviously they never had a well they never had a blow up like that that ended up right. with the band breaking up because the band never broke yeah, up. Yeah, they were just burnt out. How many times are we going to say the band never broke up? FYI, guys, for the 30th <laughs> time, the band never broke up. Yeah, spoiler alert, were, the band never broke up. <laughs> they were just burned out from touring right. and then they all wanted to do their own thing. And that's that was a pretty common thing for bands right. to want to pursue other projects. A lot of bands actually have part of their band members go off to do solo careers it's pretty common right and especially when you have a member like Deke, for example who's a bassist and not really a singer that is kind of a role that is interchangeable to a certain right. extent not saying that Deke was replaceable but he was also their fourth bassist right so yeah it was probably time for them i mean because if you stay in a band for too long at least from my understanding you lose your creativity, you lose your mojo. And so I think taking a break from you lose it your identity. Come, yeah. Taking a break from it and then coming back, which is what they did. And they, I mean, they brought together that monumental show at live aid. Right. Right. So they get to perform and they all agree under the condition that anything they come up with moving forward is going to be credited to queen and they're not going to, and they're going to split the royalties evenly, which this is not when this happened. They didn't do this until like 1987 yeah. or something when they finally started crediting everything to Queen. Probably for the best, honestly. Yeah. But they start to practice. But they and... also wanted, initially, I think you said this earlier, they wanted everyone to get credit for the writing. Yeah. If they wrote a song, they wanted that person to get credit for it. Right. But then they, they did eventually get a little bit more unified, I guess, maybe, where they were just like, we're Queen, and Queen wrote this song. Right. And we're, we all worked hard on it because right. ultimately it's not like when somebody wrote a song that they were writing the lyrics and they were writing the guitar and the piano. And nobody else had any and input the on part. it. Like exactly. they're all contributing. It's exactly. the same thing with 21 Pilots. You know, even though Tyler writes all the songs. He does a big 21 Pilots fan, by but, the way. You know, Tyler writes all the songs. Josh writes all the drum parts. And it's not like they credit Tyler with writing all the songs. Like, right. 
it's not the lyrics is what I mean. Right. Not the actual coming of the lyrics, but random aside, I just, we love music too. So yes. this is breaking our love for music and our love for movies. After this, where they become unified, they get into the Live Aid show. They find out everyone who's anyone is playing at this show. And it's going to be billions Forgiveness of... every day. <laughs> it's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> but all bono <laughs> If you guys get that reference, you get bonus points. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> yeah, so you two stupid dick. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. It's Everyone's a... going to be at the show and it's going to be in the movie, this is going to be their comeback and they're going to be back on top. And they start to rehearse. Freddie falls ill. He goes to a doctor. It's confirmed he has AIDS. Right. He's like hiding. He's like wearing sunglasses and a hat and he walks out and this kid who looks all sickly is like, Ayo. And he's like, Ayo. And he like walks away and it's like confirming that he's, you know, Freddie Mercury. Because right. that's what he did. He would do that back and forth with his fans. With in the, the crowd. band. Yeah. Which we saw at Live, Aid. Live Aid concert. Which is pretty freaking cool. So, but also, this is again, not to just keep pointing out the historical inaccuracies, but Freddie apparently it's disputed when exactly he found out he had AIDS, but apparently it was like, one or two years after the Live Aid concert, and he didn't reveal it to the band right away. He didn't reveal it to them until, like, 1989. Yeah, and then he didn't even announce it to the world until the day before he died. The day before he died. How crazy Mm -hmm. is that? I mean, they suspected he did, because if you actually watch his final days when... He he lost so much weight. Mm -hmm. And they are performing... Because he was always, like, a a very healthy-looking guy. Mm -hmm. And he looks very emaciated and ill and he's sitting down when he's singing which wasn't typical of him he was very high energy and so people had speculated that he was dying from aids but he never confirmed it until the day before in a public statement yeah and then he passed with mary and jim at his side from pneumonia and his cats yeah he had pneumonia associated but so the day of what oh so he he shares it with the band yeah he tells the band and apparently this was very accurate to the the way he really did tell it the band oh, about the pity thing yeah he was like i don't want your pity like i want to just focus on performing and creating music and just like being a band for whatever time i have left so they hug and they're yeah. like we love you he's like you look like three qu- crying queens <laughs> and then the day of live aid comes freddie finds jim finally and shows up and invites him to come yeah what timing and then they go to his parents house and he finally reconciles with his father because he tells his family that he's going to go perform at Live Aid, which is a concert for charity. And he says what his dad has said to him his whole life, which is good thoughts, good deeds, good words. Good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Yes. Yeah. And he says, you know, I I got it essentially. And his dad's all happy. His dad hugs him and kind of acknowledges him. And they acknowledge that Jim is not just a friend. Right. You know, they, they he says his, he's his friend, but they can tell. They, yeah. <laughs> and his mom's like, finally, we knew. Yeah. Like his mom's like, oh, thanks for finally telling us. Yeah. Thanks for showing up, you know, and right. getting to this point because we've been there for a while. Yeah. But when they leave, his dad Isn't tells that always her how it is, though. <laughs> he tells her that he's going to blow her a kiss on stage. And then his dad says, turn on the telly. And so going just back around to the beginning, his dad refused to let them watch the TV with him on it. In the film, he was so ashamed of his son being a performer for some reason. Hmm. But that's not really the case. His family was super proud of him. Right. <laughs> so so they and his 
his dad also made a comment earlier about him going to boarding school and saying that that was because he was like an unruly child, but <laughs> apparently it was just because his dad wanted him to get a better education. Right. It wasn't. So they definitely like amped up the drama in the family. Like it was not like he wasn't accepted dramatic. by his dad and all that stuff, but he, he was in right. real life right. in the film close with by the family, end of it. He is. And he, he, his dad decides he wants to watch the show on TV with his family. And so while at the show, Mary and David arrive and Jim joins them backstage to watch the show and Queen goes on stage. They rock it. Kills it. Kill it. And I read something that said that Elton John had asked Freddie because they were good friends what their plan was for the show. And Freddie kind of was evasive about it and said, like, we're just going to wing it and didn't tell him the plan. And when they got up there, Elton John was furious because they did so well. Like he was raging with jealousy because he was like <laughs> you basically stole the fucking show and who the hell is going to want to go on after you oh was elton john going on after them i believe elton john was oh. performing oh he, i don't yeah, know if he, he was performing was. after them but oh. he was like who the fuck would want to get on stage after you guys like because they blew it away i yeah. mean in the show in the movie they blow it away and the donations are like piling in and i think it was very similar to how that happened back during the actual live aid yeah, I would imagine. I mean, I don't know how accurate it is when it comes to like them saving Live Aid and they were getting no donations and then they got a million pounds while Queen was performing. <laughs> I don't know if it was quite that dramatic. Right, but it just but... it garnered a lot of love for Queen and yeah. they just performed really well. It was a revival for them. It mm -hmm. really brought them back in 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 like the in the states in particular. Yeah. And so the movie ends there they bow they say, we love you. And as they're turning to face each other, the song Don't Stop Me Now comes on and it fades out. And then you see the final text and it says Freddie Mercury died in 1991 from AIDS related pneumonia. He was in a relationship with Jim Hutton for the rest of his life. And he remained good friends with Mary Austin until his death. Jim Beach and the surviving members of Queen joined to create the Mercury Phoenix Trust to help fight AIDS worldwide. And yeah. then it just shows real life footage of him performing Don't Stop Me Now. And, yeah. And yeah. photos of him and Jim. With her cat. With her cat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I mean, it was a very entertaining film. I mean, is it yeah. the best film out there? No. But it was entertaining. It was very good. It, the performances were really good. This was Rami your first Malik. time watching it, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, I have a lot of fun facts and stuff about production. I have a ton like of fun facts. So, obviously, I talked about the choreography and movement coach, but her name was Polly Bennett. And they worked tirelessly to perfect every nuance of Freddie Mercury's mannerisms, every eye glance, body turn, little strut on stage, every flick of the microphone had to be just right. So they did it over and over and over again. Wow. I mean, I think that this is something that's pretty well known. I mentioned Freddie's four octave vocal range. He's generally considered to be one of the best vocalists in rock and roll history, which I think is pretty easy. Yeah, it's not hard. And then Brian May and the drummer Roger Taylor performed the rock arrangement for the film's opening of the 20th oh, Century Fox. Oh, the 20th Fox. Century Fox, yeah. You know how it's like all that. rock? Yeah. They performed that. <laughs> That's cool. We mentioned a lot of the historical in inaccuracies along the way, but Anthony McCartan, who wrote the screenplay and the the story was quoted as saying we're making a movie here not a documentary so like they're allowed to take a, a few liberties they had to make it a little bit more dramatic well that's hollywood right yeah but a, bl a blog 
Oh, shoot. I didn't write down the name of the blog. Go me again with my A-class research. Here come the cancelers. <laughs> yeah. You're canceled. The blog said that it was uh, it was 79.9% accurate and did the best that it could with a massively compressed and edited timeline. Yeah. Obviously, they had to try and make it about Freddy without forgetting it's about Queen, too. Right. I mean, Roger and Brian, who were kind of the reason that it became a movie, kind of. They had expressed interest in having a movie about Queen and about mm-hmm. Freddie, but they didn't want it to just be about Freddie. They wanted it to be about the band. Exactly. And going back to just what you mentioned about his vocal range, in 2016, a group of biophysicists and medical researchers wow, actually concluded serious. that his vocal cords moved faster than the average singer's. Oh. His vibrato measured in at 7.04 hertz, while standard vibrato frequency falls between 5.4 and 6.9. Wow, he's a mutant. <laughs> a mutant. <laughs> so EMI, I think we mentioned this, EMI actually did release A Night at the Opera, the album, and Bohemian Rhapsody was the lead single, even though it they did think that it was too long but the executive i guess who was in charge of that decision was a big queen fan and so they kind of he kind of did uh me i guess no i'm just kidding i am <laughs> you're not a big queen fan but i'd say yeah. you're a fan i did write a lot of fun facts speed round okay okay, <laughs> okay. um the note freddie mercury sustains for almost six seconds during the call and response performance with the crowd at live aid came to be known as the note heard around the world Oh, and then on that note, Canadian singer Mark Martell. So if you actually look up Mark Martell singing somebody to love, he sounds when you look away, he sounds exactly like Freddie. That's cool. So they actually mixed his voice with Freddie's voice and Rami's to like create the singing portions. Yeah, I tried to look that up. So they mixed Freddie's Mark Martell's and Rami's together to kind of create the vocals for it. So Rami does sing, but it's not just him. Okay. It's kind of a mixture of all the voices. And in an interview, like Rami said that, he said that his voice was mixed with the two artists. And I mean, Freddie Mercury has a pretty unique voice. Like, you know, it's him unless it's Mark Martell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then, you know, yeah, you his voice is easy to pick out of a crowd. Right. Because it's so unique. Yes. And Rami actually kept his prosthetic teeth because he had to wear prosthetic teeth. He, his teeth don't look like that. And he I know he that, was self-conscious of it. I knew that he his teeth were different, but the pictures that I see, he doesn't have that like rabbit look where his mouth won't close. I think because he closes his mouth. But when you're watching that scene at the end where he's singing Don't Stop Now, it zero it focuses on his mouth and you can see his lips are like... I watched it on Hulu and it stopped before it got to that part. Well, watch it. like it. started playing the next movie. <laughs> what <laughs> like, was the next movie? I don't remember. I was like, Hulu, no. So this is the part I was talking about. It was actually Bohemian Rhapsody. So it wasn't the first time they were recording in the studio. Their mm-hmm. first album it was actually during Bohemian Rhapsody. And John Deacon said, I do have to say the tape is wearing out. It can't take much more. The band did 180 vocal overdubs on the song. The consequence of so many overdubs is that the tape started to wear thin to the point of transparency. In Brian May's words, this legendary story, which people think we made up, is true. We held the tape up to the light one day. We'd been wondering where all the top end was going. And what we discovered was virtually a transparent piece of tape. All the oxide had been rubbed off. It was time to hurriedly make a copy and get on with it. (laughs) Wow. True labor of love there. Yeah. 
And this is what we had kind of already talked about it, but John Deacon retired from the band in 97 and had almost no creative input into this film beyond giving his permission for songs he penned himself to be included in the soundtrack. But Brian and May and Roger Taylor were. Yes. And so he's been living a quiet life in London with his wife of nearly 44 years and, and their it, children. And children, yeah. And the Bolsara family immigrated to England when Freddie Mercury was 17 years old to escape the Zanzibar Revolution. Oh, I didn't know he was that old. Yeah, I mean, he has really good speech. Yeah. He In had. a British accent. He had. <laughs> I just feel like 17 is kind of old to start developing an accent. <laughs> um, a recurring joke in the film involves the song, I'm in love with my car. The film actually downplays the friction the song caused within Queen. <laughs> Brian May and John Deacon considered the song subpar, but songwriter Roger Taylor insisted on its inclusion on the album. Taylor then went further and locked himself in a cupboard until the band agreed to use the song as the B-side <laughs> to the Bohemian Rhapsody single, oh which gosh. later exacerbated the infighting as Bohemian Rhapsody was a massive hit and B-side generated a massive royalty windfall for Taylor. <laughs> I just thought it was funny because I was like, you're going to pout? <laughs> you're just going to lock yourself in a I'm cupboard? I'm going in the cupboard. It's <laughs> like, what? Is this your life? These are adults. <laughs> So, I think Freddie was, I thought Freddie was the one in the closet at this point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. I see. But I'm ching. Yeah. So <laughs> I, just, I just can't believe it. So of course I talked about the nod to Wayne's world and for dramatic purposes, the film rearranges all the chronology, chronology of the film. Yes. Words are hard. Like Brian May was shown to bring that song, We Will Rock You to the band in 1980, but the yeah. song was released in 77. And then they were performing fat bottom girls during their usa tour when it actually wasn't released for like another two years or something like that yeah so there are just so many i don't even know what to, what right, to say that, but i was looking at these and i was writing a bunch of them down and then i was eventually like okay i gotta stop yeah so because like you can go on forever you really really can so the I mean, tv interview that paul prenter gives after freddie mercury kicks him out of his life is purely fictional Although he did give a series of interviews with the tabloid The Sun where he revealed much of Freddie's closely kept secrets. Yeah, I but think I said that. You did say that, but I just wanted to talk about it was his closely kept secrets he shared. Not like necessarily actual like secrets. his sexual orientation and promiscuity and stuff like that. Yeah, and not the fact that he's snorting cocaine in the back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that is like it about fun facts for me. Yeah, I don't think... There were a lot. There were a lot of like chronological errors and stuff like that. But I don't think that it was so they were so egregious that they did a disservice to the story that they were trying no. to tell. It was entertaining. And I think Freddie Mercury would have enjoyed it. Yeah. I think the difference is that Freddie Mercury is not alive. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> he dies at the end. <laughs> so, no, but it's like he didn't have any creative input. When right. you look at Rocket Man. Elton John produced that. I would so imagine had, that uh, if Freddie Mercury had an input on this, this probably would have turned out a little bit more like Rocket Man. <laughs> how extra Freddie Mercury is. Maybe, maybe. He'd have been like, no, there needs to be fireworks, darling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having fun, darling. Yeah. So I loved it. I think that I wouldn't give it like a 10, though. No. For entertainment, I'd give it like a 6. Yeah, I was going to say maybe like a 5 for me. I do have some information about the production. Because this thing had a pretty, oh, yeah. this thing had those aren't necessarily troubled. fun facts, but yeah, there there are some. It's interesting. interesting. It has some interesting facts in here. So the production started in 2011. Initially, Sasha Baron Cohen, who 
known as Borat or known <laughs> for Borat, I guess not as Borat was originally planned to be Freddie. He left the project in 2013 due to creative differences. I read that he wanted it to be like a gritty R rated tell all like, let's get all the dirty secrets out there and stuff. And the band was like, no, we want this to be a PG story about the band. And their biggest priority was that nothing in this movie, they didn't want this to ruin Freddie Mercury's legacy. Right. They were they like, we it. want the yeah, they were like, we want this to do Freddie justice and we're not gonna like drag his name through the mud. And so that I don't know, that whole thing with like Sasha Baron Cohen wanting it to be like an R rated I don't I don't even know what it would have been. Like a probably just more of the drugs and sex and, and stuff. And, and it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth for him. I, I've I've never been a big well, Borat what was fan he gonna, and stuff. And honestly, I don't come for me, Sasha Baron Cohen stands, but I don't think he's that talented of an actor. Yeah. And so, that was part of the reason somebody mentioned that because he was more he was better known as like a comedian. Guy. He was a comedian and a prankster mm -hmm. that he probably wouldn't have done the film justice right he would not justice. have done freddie justice no so they got another actor ben wishaw was gonna play freddie mercury and he left in 2014 saying that the film wasn't progressing well and had scripting issues and then there were numerous act problems with the director brian singer who he was like showing up late and then i think he didn't show up back after their like thanksgiving break because of like family health issues, but he was having a lot of issues with the actors too. I think he clashed with Rami Malek. And I think that Tom Holland, what is it? Tom Hollander who played Miami actually quit the project because of problems that he had with Brian Singer. And he was eventually convinced to come back. But I think two, when they had like two weeks of production left, Brian Singer got fired. <laughs> they were like, you're it's not out. funny, but it's kind of like, whoa. Yeah. So that was in 2017. And then Dexter Fletcher replaced him as the director. And then in the end, he I guess. He also directed Rocketman. Brian Singer. Dexter, uh, Dexter Fletcher. Fletcher. Oh, Brian Singer's known for like, I looked it up. He did a lot of the X-Men movies, like the first X-Men movie. So he's done some movies that I like, but I don't know about him as a person. But in, in the end, uh, the Directors Guild of America said that they could only credit one director and they had to determine who it was going to be. And since Brian Singer had hired the cast and crew and filmed most of the movie, they ended up crediting him. And then Dexter Fletcher received an executive producer credit on this on the movie. So it had kind of a troubled production and it had a <laughs> lot of issues, but I think the final product is, is great. Yeah. I think that they they pulled it together. We they, we have a lot of movies I feel like that come out and all of their production issues are just like there for everyone to see. It's just a mess. It is. And I think the it's because the actors and everybody else were committed to telling the story. Right. They cared about this project and the band cared about the project and the show must go on. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that kudos to everyone involved that the finished product is as good as it is i mean four academy awards is pretty right good and woo woo rami yeah so so yes i give it a six i give it a five cool for me i i i enjoyed it i was pleasantly surprised i enjoyed it more than i thought i would i don't know why i, I do this with movies all the time where i just like i know you do i'm just like <laughs> not interested i just see it and i'm like yeah not, eh, eh. Well, this podcast is going to make you. Yeah, exactly. That's kind out. of the beautiful thing. It's it happened uh, last time with the Matrix too. You had texted me and you were like, "Yeah, I'm having a hard time like wanting to watch it because I'm just not. I don't 
love it and I'm not really that interested in watching it. And then you watched it and you were like, okay, I was kind of wrong. Exactly. So, yay. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's going to happen down the line. I hope it does. It will. And we'll have some that were like, that was crap. Yeah. I'm sure it's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. It'll be there eventually. (laughs) Like maybe we'll talk about the Twilight series. (laughs) (laughs) Or Dante's Peak. (laughs) Or Dante's Peak. Fun fact. I'm deathly afraid of volcanoes. Oh, I did have a fun fact. I don't know why I had this like all the way down at the end, but they are obviously in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. The they're all individually and collectively as Queen in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, the UK Music Hall of Fame, the Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music as Queen, and then Freddie ended up getting that award individually a year after his death, posthumously. And then they got they also got an award. I think this was a Grammy. Maybe not. I don't know. Outstanding song collection, which I think obviously they've got a huge catalog of outstanding songs. And then I just, I did want to give this like little shout out. I don't know what kind of inspired me, but I wanted to give a shout out to some AIDS foundations um, because I did a little bit of research into it and AIDS has made a lot of progress in the last couple decades, but because we have medications and treatments that allow people to live essentially normal lives with this, a lot of people kind of think that the crisis is over when it is far from over. Right. So there's a couple foundations that I wanted to give a shout out to. The Global Fund is not specifically an AIDS organization. It also researches and does, I don't know what the right word is. It It's a foundation for research for AIDS, TB, and malaria. Oh, that's cool. The International AIDS Society, the UN AIDS is a joint United Nations program on HIV and AIDS. AIDS United is a merger between the National AIDS Fund and AIDS Action Advocacy Group, both founded in the 80s. AMFAR, the Foundation for AIDS Research, and a lot of other ones that I found were more focused on like specific groups. So I was like, I don't know about that. They were like the Black AIDS Institute and the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation, which like... That's great. They're great, but I think that it should be more about the disease and not a specific group that's suffering because everyone who has it is suffering. Right. So if you feel so inclined, you guys could go to these websites and donate to their foundations. Also, (laughs) I'm a little cynical. So I I always encourage people that if you're going to be donating to a foundation to do your research because... I tend to be skeptical that many of them have become for profit and like get kind of skewed. And so just do your research and what you think's right. Well, like, the band like giving... members of Queen did create that foundation. In right, Freddie's exactly. Name. And so that yeah. could be one if anybody feels so inclined right. that you can donate to. While HIV is very well maintained, kind of like a chronic illness, like heart disease or diabetes, it still does kill people. Right. Multiple people, you know, in a year. Yeah. So it's not over. It's, you know, we have a lot more education surrounding it and how it's contracted, but there are a lot of countries also that are still suffering from it. Right. There's a lot of countries and, and groups that don't have access to the treatments that allow it to become just high blood pressure, essentially. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's just do, do your research, look into some things and don't Be let a good person. Don't let the few bad apples ruin the bunch. So that was put in such a lovely fashion. Oh, thank you. 
So on that note, <laughs> yeah, we got to spin the wheel, spin the wheel of fortune. So we're getting like to the point where a lot of my movies are getting picked off. So eventually we're going to start doing a lot more of David's films. Yeah. I can't wait for that to happen. And when are you, when <laughs> we have gotten no emails, I am disappointed. We got an email last week on Two requesting <laughs> movies though. Oh yes. Don't text us. Request it via our email. Yeah. I, I think that it's very difficult. I mentioned to the, mentioned this to you earlier this week that because most of our listeners are like personal friends and family and stuff it's kind of it feels a little weird to go out of your way to email us when you have a direct line of communication to us via text or seeing us at work or whatever but it really is a little bit easier for us to keep things organized and to keep reminders if we have an email because those are things that we look at when we're actually kind of in podcast mode all right you ready exactly so let's spin the wheel of fortune let's find out what we're going to watch next what is it the adjustment bureau i've never seen it so. oh i love this movie. okay so we're watching the adjustment bureau next cool and we'll see you guys next time thanks for tuning in guys all right bye, bye. Can I get a mimosa?